1: You know, know, there was the the film, The Song of Bernadette, and at the end of it, uh, there is this uh, wisdom enunciated, for those who believe no proof is necessary, for those who do not believe no proof is possible.
0: Why does the Catholic Church teach the Immaculate Conception, Virgin Birth, and Assumption of Mary? Dr. Robert Fastigi explains these doctrines and tells us about places, times, and tradition where we encounter her, Mary, the mother of all nations. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Odinius. I ask interesting people who have thought about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this format, in relationship, in dialogue, in back and forth, may help us approach the truth, and I have a really good time doing it. And should you want to take the conversation a step further, I invite you, please, to email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Today our guest is Dr. Robert Fastigi. He is Bishop Kevin M. Britt Chair of Dogmatic Theology and Christology at the Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit, where he teaches ecclesiology, Christology, Mariology, Church History, Sacramental Theology, and Moral Theology. He's a member of the Society for Catholic Liturgy, the Mariological Society of America, the International Marian Association, and a corresponding member of the Pontifical Marian Academy International. He was also executive editor of the 2009-2013 to Supplements to the New Catholic Encyclopedia. He is the author or editor of some 17 books, but it could be more. I'm just looking at your faculty website here, including two books from which I am drawing my questions uh, for Dr. Fastigi today. Mary, Mother, Queen, Encountering Mary in Time and Tradition from 2019, which he wrote with Michael O'Neill, and De Maria Nunquam Satis, The Significance of the Catholic Doctrines of the Blessed Virgin Mary for All People from 2009, a volume he edited with Judith Marie Gentle, to which he contributed the first essay about the Immaculate Conception. Dr. Fastigi and his wife, Kathy, have been married since 1984 and have three adult children. So it is a privilege for me to talk with such an eminent authority on the teachings and traditions of our Catholic Church. And today I'd like to ask you about those two books. Uh, so welcome, Dr. Fastigi. Well, well,
1: thank you very, very much, uh, Chris. It's my honor to be here. Sometimes when I hear uh about these books i said well, did i really write them but i guess i did so yeah. i just uh, you know we're we're all members uh, of the catholic faith and we're all learning and mm-hmm. we have we have the blessed mother as our great teacher sometimes we think of her as mother of course and the virgin mother and queen But she also teaches us. In fact, fact, Pope Francis referred to her once as the the teacher of authentic theology. And I've often pondered on that, but I think what he meant is she understood our Lord better than anyone else because she conceived him in in her womb and gave birth to him and was with him uh, till his death and resurrection. So she knows him and she helps to lead us all to him. But uh, I, I, I've been teaching at Sacred Heart Major Seminary since 1999. And before that, I taught at uh, St. Edwards University in Austin, Texas for 14 years. And I, I, I'm just honored to teach about the Blessed Mother. And um honored to be a Catholic really mm-hmm. and the Blessed Mother we have to remember is the mother of all peoples. Uh, in, in one of his encyclicals, Leo the 13th said that the beloved disciple John represented the whole human race. So when our Lord gave his mother as the mother of the beloved disciple, Leo the 13th said John represented the whole human race but in a special way, the faithful. So she's especially the the mother of all of us who are uh, uh, baptized and uh, and especially uh, Catholics. We have the fullness of the means of salvation, not by our own merits, but by, as a great gift from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
0: I, I This is not from my list of questions, but I've always wondered about that period about which we know so little when when she and John uh, accompanied each other after, after the the death and resurrection of our Lord. Do yeah. we, and we know that John lived a very long time. Do we have any idea when the assumption of Mary took place? How long that, how much, how much wisdom and transmission and knowledge must have happened yeah. in that time?
1: Yes, we don't have an exact understanding. I, I, I think it occurred before 49 A.D. because that's around the time of the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. And the Blessed Mother is not there, but she was there at at Pentecost, which we would traditionally say around 33 A.D., I mean, different visionaries, uh, Anne Catherine Emmerich and St. Bridget of Sweden and uh, um, Maria of uh, uh, Agreda um, have had different uh, uh, thoughts on this, but the church doesn't pronounce definitively on that, though we do have certitude that she was assumed body and soul into heaven when the course of her earthly life was over, the great assumption of Mary, that we have um, the certitude of faith on that. But uh, I've been, I've been, you know, I was honored to write that, uh, co edit that book with uh, Dr. Gentle, who is an Anglican. But we had a conference where there were, Ang- she represented Anglicanism. There was also Father Bear, who is an Eastern Orthodox uh, theologian, patristic scholar, and Others were there at that conference. So uh, we were looking at the Blessed Mother uh, for all Christians, but really uh, for all people. And so that was a wonderful conference. And we also uh, brought in some essays of people who were not at that conference. So that was really an ecumenical uh, perspective on our Blessed Mother. And then the other uh, a book I, I co-authored with uh, Michael O'Neill was uh, a, a kind of collaboration. Michael's the great expert on Marian apparitions; he's the miracle hunter, uh-huh. um, and uh, I. And then, uh, so he picked out a, a number of Marian apparitions, and then I was asked to uh, reflect upon an aspect of Mariology or a Marian title connected with each of these 10 apparitions that he chose. And uh, I I picked my favorite favorite titles, but I wanted to include Our Lady as Mother of the Church. And even though Our Lady of Fatima spoke of herself as Our Lady of the Rosary, she shows great concern for the Church. And really, with the third part of The Secret, uh, it shows the Church in persecution. So I think that uh, since Pope Francis had made Mother of the Church an obligatory memorial uh, the Monday after Pentecost, I I thought Our Lady of Fatima would be a, a, a good uh, sounding board for that, that beautiful title, Mater Ecclesiae, Mother of mm-hmm. the Church.
0: Well, those are the two big topics that I want to pursue with you. But before we start there, I wonder if you wouldn't mind speaking for a minute a bit about yourself and uh, about your roots and how you became a theologian. Well,
1: yes. Well, you know, when I when I went to college, I wasn't sure what I wanted to study. But then I, I, I took some philosophy courses, but they were very analytical at Dartmouth College. But then I took religion and I... I I started becoming interested in different religions, but also church history. And then I received a, a scholarship to pursue, uh, first a master's, then a doctorate at Fordham University. But you know, I, I, uh, at first I think my interest was more intellectual and historical. But when I, I, I started teaching, during the Marian year, 1987, 1988, I, I felt deeply moved. And touched by our blessed Mother, and uh, my wife and I were married in '84. We hadn't conceived um, a child, so I, I remember praying uh, in front of a, a statue of Our Lady of Guadalupe, asking her, because she she was thought that she was pregnant at the time, and someone suggested praying to her. So then my wife conceived after that prayer, which was very simple, but heartfelt. And then our first child, Mary, was born mm. on September 12th, the Feast of Our Lady of, of, of Guadalupe. So I do believe in Mary's intercession. And I have felt her presence ever since that, that Marian year in a very special way, the, proclaimed by the great saint. And you of, of Polish background mm-hmm. would appreciate uh St. John Paul II. I think, I hope someday he's named a doctor of the church and the Marian doctor of the church. But we leave that to higher authority. Yeah.
0: Well, I know that Mary is the queen of Poland. And of course, I know that um, um, St. Mary of Guadalupe is the the queen of Mexico. But we also, as you said, she's the queen of the church and the And then you continue to say she's not only the queen of the Catholic Church, but the Universal Church, the Catholic with a little C, and of all peoples. How did you? uh, What did you learn with your collaborators uh, from the other Christian denominations? And how did you? How do you bring uh, Mary to say our our brothers in the Orthodox or our our Protestant brothers in the other churches that she is the mother of all nations?
1: Yes. Well, I think with. With the Orthodox, we have a great heritage, a a great history together for the first millennium. And that's the time of the first seven ecumenical councils. And we think of the importance of uh, the Council of Ephesus in 431, where Mary was proclaimed Theotokos, or the birth giver of God, uh, and... uh, which the the Eastern Orthodox would accept. And then at the Second Council of Constantinople uh, in 553, she is referred to as Ever-Virgin, A. Parthenos. So the Eastern Orthodox accept really two of our great dogmas about Mary, that she is Ever-Virgin and that she is uh, the Holy Mother of God they also have the Feast of the, the Dormition or Coimasis, and they're not just celebrating her falling asleep, which is what it means, but they're celebrating her, her being lifted up to heaven. And we have these great Eastern fathers uh, who come very close to the Immaculate Conception. I, In, in that my one essay, I said, I, I, I do believe that St. John of Damascus, uh, who died in 749, Affirmed the Immaculate Conception when he, he wrote, O oh, blessed loins of Joachim, the father of Mary, whence the all pure seed was poured out, O oh, glorious womb of Anna, in which the most holy fetus grew and was formed. And Father uh, uh, Francis Dvornik, or, or Professor Francis Dvornik, believed this passage provides a direct proof that John of Damascus regarded Mary as exempt from all sin from the moment of her passive conception. In other words, the Catholic dogma of the Immaculate Conception. Now, some Eastern Orthodox would say, well, we accept it as a theological opinion, what is called a theologumenon, but we don't see the need to dogmatize it. But you see, uh, you think of an Eastern father like St. Ephraim of Syria, well, he's more in the syriac tradition but he said there is no stain in thee O jesus nor is there any stain in thy mother so this recognition recognition that mary is panagia all holy so i remember bringing that out in my talk there from which that book with dr gentle came about and i was asked the question uh, by i well they i wasn't sure who asked the question they were on cards but one, why does Mary have to be immaculately conceived to be a panagia, all holy? Hmm. I said, well, who would be more all holy? One who was never touched by sin in any way, <laughs> or one, or, uh, or one who was touched by sin and then purified later. So I, I said, uh, I think the first explains it, so that she's all holy. So Mary is actually a great link to our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters. She's also probably the strongest link to the followers of the Islamic religion, since oh. the, the Quran affirms Mary as uh, a virgin when uh, she conceives and gives birth to Isa, Jesus, the prophet and messenger of God in the Quran. So there, there's even a saying attributed to Muhammad that the blessed uh, that that Satan has touched every child born except jesus and his mother so the the uh it's not by accident uh archbishop fulton j sheen said that mary appeared in portugal in the only city or the only village with a muslim name fatima (laughs) the, 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 the name of the daughter of muhammad yeah so I think that that is a that that's clearly a link. and and uh, Bishop Sheen said that Mary will be the means by which Muslims come to know that her son is not just a prophet but the Son of God. so i I believe that, but we they do honor her, and that's our link. It's with the Protestants uh, that we sometimes have some trouble with. Uh, but, you know, If you go to Scripture, which the Protestants honor so much, and you look at it very carefully, you know, the Catholic dogmas are there about Mary. It never says in Scripture that she had other children. And the fact that she responds to the angel as she does, uh, I do not know man, is a sign that she had made a resolve to be a virgin. And the fact that our Lord gives care to his uh, uh, Entrust John as the protector of, of of his mother. If Mary had other other children, she would be under their care. So, church fathers like Saint John Chrysostom and others saw this as a sign that um, Mary was ever virgin. Also, Saint Augustine and uh, uh, Saint Gregory of Nyssa, who's an Eastern father, said they believed Mary took a vow of virginity.
0: There um, is a there is a place when uh, Jesus is. Brothers and sisters, come. Or is that a fictive kinship? The way I might, ref- my, my cousin, for instance, from Poland, calls me brother. Of course, we're not siblings, but there are there are terms like that where we call people who are close to us uncles and aunties and so on. Is that what that? yeah
1: Yes. Yeah. So we have to remember even the word adelphos, brother, or adelphoi, brothers and sisters, brethren, in Greek. Even in the New Testament has a has a. Has a broader meaning than just blood brother or blood sister. I mean, Saint Paul refers to all of the Corinthians as as adelphoi. They weren't all his blood brothers. And then he refers to our Lord appearing to five hundred brothers at once. It's the same Greek word. Uh, Were they all blood brothers? What that must have been one a mother having five hundred children. So, so, but you know, in in, in, our Lord. didn't speak uh well he might have known uh, in his divine uh, nature he knew all languages but he, he was speaking in aramaic but which is related to hebrew but in hebrew you 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 have a, a case of uh, a, a lot being spoken of as abraham's ah ach, uh brother which that's how it's translated in in the uh, you know uh In the Greek, Adelphos, but he was actually uh, uh, the son of Abraham's uh, brother Laban, so he would have been Lot would have been Abraham's nephew. But the same Hebrew word was used in in an extensive way. But this is where uh, there's. It's good to have dialogue. Mm -hmm. I think I think the greatest link we have with the separated uh, Protestant brethren is the, the the magnificent prayer, the Magnificat. I mean, that, that comes from uh, sacred scripture, and it really reveals to us the inner, inner prayer life of Mary, and that I think also we have to deal with the Protestants theologically and to say, well, Jesus is the Savior. It's his blood that saved us. They relate to that. But how did he, how did he receive a human body capable of suffering and death? He is uh, he he becomes incarnate ex Maria Vergine from the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's in the ancient creeds; they can't deny it. And uh, it, 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 you you know we have Scripture, but there were there were uh, apostles, and their uh, uh, and then later bishops and early fathers. They all testify that Mary is ever virgin, and then at the Council of Ephesus. It's it's affirmed dogmatically that she's the mother of God. I remember asking one Protestant this, do you believe? He, he said, Mary, Mary can't be called the mother of God. Well, first of all, he didn't know that Luther and Calvin and Zwingli accepted Mary as ever virgin and the mother of God. Calvin said, let's not use that title mother of God. It will confuse people. But um, he did accept it theologically, so some of them don't know this—that mm-hmm. the original Protestants ex- at least accepted those two dogmas. But uh, so, but, but he, but, but this—he said God doesn't have a mother. I said, well, I said, well, is Jesus God? He said, yes. Is Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus? <laughs> and he said, yes. <laughs> but then he just said, but God doesn't have a mother. Well, he was thinking it meant that you know, uh, uh, God the Word had his origin from Mary, but well, that was the problem with Nestorius, the patriarch of Constantinople, who was deposed at, uh, at uh, Ephesus in 431, because he had the trouble, understand, and when he th- heard that, t- he thought the title Theotokos, birth giver of God, meant that God had his origin from Mary, but that's, that's not what it meant, and we know that. Uh, there's no greater proof than Saint Elizabeth in the visitation she says, "Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me?" Mm-hmm. Well, who's the Lord? Who's Kyrios? That is Adonai. That's Yahweh. That's God. That's what she's saying. She's not talking about Lord Caesar. So it's actually scriptural, and um, the, these uh, truths develop through church tradition, but with with the with with the Orthodox really. Three out of the four great dogmas about Mary, they, they, they have a feast for the, uh, the Dormition, so they accept, and many of them are coming to see what it means, what we mean by calling Mary um, Immaculately Conceived. Yeah. They, 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 yes, go ahead. But well, I'm talking too much. Uh, not just, at
0: all. Not at all. I, I think we should say the Dormition is was about the assumption, which I'm going to ask you about in just a second. But I wanted to tell you that I'm doing the same project that you're doing in miniature because my my beloved wife is a Protestant and she's also a Dartmouth grad like yourself. And we were out for dinner and I was telling her about this interview that you and I would have. And she has no problem with the Immaculate Conception, I think, it's certainly the virgin birth, but it's the assumption of Mary where she says, well, like, where where is it written? And so my, my question for you is, when you have this conference and you talk with these, uh, you know, brothers from different Christian denominations, do you find that these finer points have revealed... Um, Revealed doctrine and 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 Catholic tradition are more of a stumbling block, or are you able to find more points of commonality for uh, for communion? Well,
1: in this this. When you have the Ecumenical Society of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the the Protestants and Orthodox and Anglicans who come to those meetings have an interest in the study of Mary, mm-hmm. uh, so they show interest there and they're looking and they're they're polite people and they're looking. <laughs> but but you know with with the with the Assumption, you say where is that in Scripture? Yeah. But you go to the Book of Revelation, uh, and you have Chapter Eleven and it it, it, it it we have to remember that that vision was not written uh, in chapter and verse so you have at the at the very uh, you you have the transition at the end in, in in chapter 11 verse 19 it talks about the ark of the covenant up in heaven well mary was the living ark of the covenant mm-hmm. and then immediately after uh, revelation 11, 19, there's the transition to Revelation 12:1. And so, so you, you see that, uh, you know, then the Revelation eleven nineteen. then God's temple in heaven was opened and the Ark of the Covenant could be seen in the temple. And then there's all uh, rumblings and earthquake. Then the very next verse, a great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. Well, so the transition is immediately from the Ark to the woman. Yeah. And, uh, and oh, yes, the woman of Revelation represents Israel giving birth to the Messiah. She represents the church giving birth to new members, but she also is married because the woman is giving birth to a child destined to rule all the nations with an iron rod and revelation 19:15 reveals the one who rules with an iron rod is the king of kings and lord of lords that's jesus so that's why popes have recognized the woman of revelation as at least on one level the blessed virgin mary but mary is the ark of the covenant when david Uh, greets the ark coming into Jerusalem, he leaps for joy and says, who am I that the ark of my Lord should come? And he's dancing around. Well, when Mary in the visitation in the gospel of Luke brings uh, our Lord in the presence of her Kinswoman Elizabeth and John the Baptist is in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth says, "You know, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For the moment your greeting reached me, the child in my womb leaped for joy." This is this is a parallel to David leaping for joy in the presence of the ark. Yeah. So Mary is the living ark of the covenant. I I don't think this is by accident that these two events. Uh, in Scripture relate to one another. People have seen this very clearly. So, your dear wife, maybe she could think of Mary as the <laughs> Ark of the Covenant, yeah. That's scriptural, and then also the Ark in heaven is the woman clothed with the sun.
0: Well, and maybe it's too literal a way to think about these actors that we read about in in Scripture, because they were so steeped in the in this. Um, long hebrew tradition and who knows how explicitly they understood the things that they were saying they were probably moved with the spirit and maybe it came to them later or maybe john really had it all figured out because he'd spent all those years with his adoptive mother uh mary but i one one can only one can only wonder i tell 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 us about uh speaking of signs. In the sky, or first, let me add. I did notice that that passage about um, from Revelation is in Pope Francis's uh, Rosary Companion for uh, when for the um, glorious mysteries, uh, the last two about okay. the um, Assumption and then the Coronation of Mary. That, that's those are the scriptures that are provided because they're that, more yeah, figurative.
1: Yes, you know, in in when when we have these great Marian feasts, it's good to pay attention to the scriptures chosen, and and Revelation twelve is there for the for the feast of the Assumption, which is one of the earliest feasts. It goes back, you know, sometimes to the fifth century. But you know, there were in the second and third centuries there were writings that that were called the transitus stories about Mary's. Uh, being uh, Mary being taken up to heaven we have to remember that the apostles knew Mary and the blessed mother could talk and um, they they understood if she had other children certainly the apostles would know but none of them ever said that Mary the mother of Jesus had uh, other children Mm -hmm. so and then then uh, sometimes the the, the enough was passed on that they they knew her her tomb was, was empty. She fell asleep or she died. Uh, we're not sure whether she died or whether she just fell asleep, but the apostles and the early church saw her body was gone. Well, where was her body taken? It was taken to heaven. And she's our mother in heaven interceding for us. Well, that's something we have with the Eastern Orthodox because they do appeal and they call upon the Holy Theotokos to pray. Even there's a refrain in the great Byzantine Orthodox hymn, which Catholics also recite from the uh, Byzantine tradition. The Akathist or the Akathistos hymn must be said standing. And there, there's a refrain, Holy Theotokos, save us. Holy Mother of God, save us. Well, she saves us through her divine son. But there it is in, in ancient tradition to appeal to Mary to pray to her. And so uh, that is rooted there. That that also is a Marian dogma, but I mean, it's, re, it's related to the intercession of the saints and Mary's the queen of the saints so that she hears our prayers and she she responds to them. That's what we believe in our heart and through long experience. And she does appear. Um, she, these, these apparitions, some, the first one recorded, it goes back to St. James in, in uh, Our Lady of the Pillar in Spain. But uh, she's appeared to individual holy people. Even some popes are, are said to have had apparitions of our mother. Uh, But the the great, the three big apparitions, Our Lady of Guadalupe, where she left a sign on the the tilma or the apron of St. Juan Diego, that cannot be explained by science, how that image is there. Mm. Uh, And then Our Lady of Lourdes, where she appeared to St. Bernadette Subaru, and she revealed uh, that she is the Immaculate Conception. And St. Bernadette didn't know what that title meant, but the dogma had been proclaimed four years before in 1854 where the Blessed Mother uh, gave herself, uh, revealed herself as the Immaculate Conception of St. Bernadette in 1858. But the, the miracles that have been there at Lourdes, I think there have been thousands of them, but only about 70 have been authenticated uh, there through the rigorous examination of the, of the Medical Bureau at Lourdes as we know it. And then Fatima, the most prophetic of all apparitions, 1917. And two of the visionaries of Fatima died as children, Jacinta and Francisco. And we just had their feast day, though it was not uh, announced so much because it was on Sunday, February 20th, of these two great children saints. And Sister Lucia of Fatima, her cause is up for beatification but she wrote quite a bit so all of her writings have to be examined but i have no doubt that someday she'll be beatified and then canonized as she was really the great uh the 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 greatest of the visionaries in that she recorded uh what she heard and those secrets she she wrote down uh the last part of the third secret was very painful for her to write, but the blessed mother asked her to write it down. And I believe in the year, um, the, the year 2000, they, the, the, the full secret was revealed um, uh, there at at, at Fatima. So um, and then the great message of Fatima there.
0: Could you, uh, I don't I don't know the story as well as I should. Could you tell me what you mean by it was revealed in two thousand or?
1: Well, what happened is you know there were the from May thirteenth until October thirteenth, nineteen seventeen. There were these six Marian apparitions to the three shepherd children, and on the apparition in July um, Lucia asked for a, a miracle so people may believe but our lady said in October she will reveal who she is and perform a miracle but in July 13th 1917 she revealed a three-part secret first the vision of hell then the spread of the errors of Russia and that wars and persecutions of the church will come and uh, and but the the great world war world war one would come to an end but if people do not pray there will be a a greater war to follow which is what happened with world war ii and the third part of the secret was revealed but it was only written down later by lucia on january 3rd 1944 in obedience um to the bishop the local bishop of Leria, uh, leiria and her letter describing this part of the secret was placed in the secret archive of the Holy Office in 1957. Saint John the Twenty-third read the letter in 1959, but he decided not to reveal it. And uh, Saint Paul the Sixth read the letter March 27, 1965. He decided not to publish it. And uh, Lucia wrote on the envelope of this, the third part of the secret. It should not be uh, revealed until 1960. But later she said, I wrote that down. That wasn't from the Blessed Mother. That was just my thought. And then uh, uh, after the assassination attempt on the life of St. John Paul II, May 13, 1981, where he almost died, he asked to read the uh, letter about the third part of the secret and then he decided to uh, announce the disclosure on May 13, 2000. But, you know, the bullet that Aliachka had fired at the Pope, Pope St. John Paul II, barely, it, it just missed. And John Paul II was convinced that the, Our Lady of Fatima, it was on the, 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 the anniversary of the, her first apparition, May 13th, moved the bullet. Well, that bullet was taken out of his body, and it was brought to Fatima. And there was the crown there on the statue of Fatima, and there was a place in, in at, at the base of the, the crown, and the bullet fit in perfectly, and it's still there. Nothing had to be altered. I saw that bullet in Fatima. And the, um, it, 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 the Blessed Mother revealed that Russia would be converted if people prayed hmm. and uh, offered their sacrifices. And she asked for the consecration of Russia to her Immaculate Heart in communion with all the bishops of the world. And it's, John Paul II said he carried that out on March 25th, 1984 in St. Peter's Square. And um, he mentioned that this consecration is intended for all the countries that are included in this consecration. But some people say, well, he didn't mention Russia by name audibly, but some it's believed he did in his heart. Can't make the consecration to Russia. Sister Lucia later said, yes, it was done. And John Paul II said it was done. He did make the consecration Well, it's believed that that set in in motion some of the events in Eastern Europe, where you're from. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: um, the Berlin Wall fell in 1989, and a portion of the Berlin Wall was brought to Fatima. I saw it in uh, 2016. So it's believed that this had an effect now, uh, uh, you know, people have, maybe haven't fully lived up to the message of Fatima, but you asked about the, the secrets. Yes. I mentioned the first part is the vision of hell. And then uh, the, the, the the second part was about the consecration of Russia to Mary's Immaculate Heart and communions of reparation. Then the third part of the secret was almost like a, a video as it described by Sister Lucia. And uh, she said, um, this is how she wrote it down, if we have time. But she said, after the two parts, which I have already explained, at the left of Our Lady and a little above, we saw an angel with a flaming sword in his left hand flashing it gave out flames that looked as though they would set the world on fire, but they died out in contact with the splendour of our, uh, with the splendour that our Lady radiated towards him from her right hand, pointing to the earth. And with his right hand, the angel cry, cried out in a loud voice, "Penance, penance, penance!" And we saw in an immense light that, it, that is God something similar to how people appear in a mirror when they pass in front of it, a bishop dressed in white. We had the impression that it was the Holy Father. Other bishops, priests, men and women, religious, going up a steep mountain at the top of which there was a cross, a big cross, of rough-hewn trunks, as of cork tree with the bark. Before reaching there, the Holy Father passed through a big city, half in ruins and half trembling, With halting step, afflicted with pain and sorrow, he prayed for the souls of the corpses that he met on his way. Having reached the top of the mountain on his knees, at the foot of the big cross, he was killed by a group of soldiers who fired bullets and arrows at him, and in the same way there died, one after another, other bishops, priests, men and women, religious, and various lay people of different ranks and positions. Beneath the two arms of the cross there were two angels each with a crystal aspersorium in his hand in which they gathered up the blood of the martyrs and with it sprinkled the souls that were making their way to God. And she wrote this down um, in 1944. Well, what does that secret mean? When Cardinal Angelo Sodano um, read the, the third part of the secret in May 13, 2000, This is what he said. The vision of Fatima concerns, above all, the war waged by atheistic systems against the church and Christians. And it describes the immense sufferings endured by the witnesses of the faith in the last century of the second millennium. It is an interminable way of the cross led by popes of the 20th century. And then Cardinal Ratzinger, a few months later, gave his own interpretation. And he says, the purpose of the vision is not to show a film of an irrevocably fixed future. Its meaning is exactly the opposite. It is meant to mobilize the forces of change in the right direction, the exhortation to prayer as the path of salvation for souls and likewise the summons to penance and conversion. And then the Blessed Mother had revealed, my immaculate heart will triumph in the end. And... the the Cardinal Ratzinger, later Pope Benedict XVI, says, What does this mean? My Immaculate Heart will triumph. Then he says, The heart open to God, purified by contemplation of God, is stronger than guns and weapons of every kind. The fiat, the yes of Mary, the word of her heart, has changed the history of the world because it brought the Savior into the world because thanks to her, yes, God could become man in our world and remain so for all time. From that time forth, the word that prevails is this. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. John 16:33. The message of Fatima invites us to trust in this promise. I think both of these cardinals at the time gave beautiful interpretations and it might be like a combination of the two. But this is really what was revealed at Fatima.
0: This is uh, so wonderful and astounding and I really enjoy your reading of it. Uh, And I'm always perplexed between how we talk about proofs of things that are taken, uh, matters of faith. And there are some things that are revealed to uh, wise people who then repeat it in councils and we take it on dogma. And then there are things like this where thousands of people see it. You, you called your colleague the miracle hunter that the Catholic church sends out um, you know, investigators and there's medical authorities who who confirm it. And so I just think that uh, either evidence can be taken or rejected just based on our disposition And I I was talking last week with a friend of mine who's um, just about my age, but he was when he was a, a boy, he lived in the Philippines. And when he was eight, his house was on fire. And he had sort of slipped between the bed and the wall. And it was a very big house and a very big family. And it was unclear which kids were there and which kids were safely out. And he was awakened by our lady who was standing over him and reached out with her hand to wake him up. And when uh, he finally woke up completely, it was his uncle who was picking him up. So she sort of, she came to him at, at his hour of need and got him out of that house. And has that experience has been with him his whole life and has affected him in many ways. Um, and because I was talking with him in person, it, it really uh, touched my heart. And I'm completely convinced by its veracity. And yet there's a problem that no matter how many people... Uh, can attest to it whom i've not met or haven't spoken to personally it's hard for this kind of truth and experience to penetrate into my heart because i'm living in this very empirical age a very skeptical time and i have that too even though i'm myself a, a you know a faithful catholic how do you think these Proofs work. How do we talk to people? How do you feel them? How do you feel personally the joy, faith, and hope from your studies that that our, that our lady brings? This is a problem. I don't even know how to shape as a question, but I wanted to put it to you yeah. and hear your re- reaction.
1: Well, you, know, you know, there was the the film, the Song of Bernadette, and at the end of it, uh, there is this uh, wisdom enunciated for those who believe no proof is necessary for those who do not believe, no proof is possible. So when it comes to the reasons of the heart, which the philosopher and scientist Blaise Pascal spoke of, les raison de cour, you know, of the heart, um, that's really what convinces us. But I think God does sometimes send, uh, and the, some of these Marian apparitions have actual empirical signs for example the the tilma of Guadalupe from fifteen thirty one there's the image of this beautiful uh, a woman on it, and scientists have examined it and it's 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 not paint, there's no dye, but it's its I remember seeing this demonstration in two thousand eighteen when there was a seminar in Rome on apparitions that i I, I attended and Monsignor Chavez would show. Uh, up front, there's no image. Hmm. When you look very closely at the at the fibers, there's no image. But when you go back from a distance, the image appears. And uh, also the the fibers of this uh, tilma were were made of like a, a, a from from plants, cactus plants, and they they should only last, you know, maybe ten or at most 20 years, but this has lasted since 1531. I think it was 1921 when there were some uh, uh, enemies of the Catholic Church in Mexico. Uh, They were probably connected with Freemasonry and someone planted a bomb uh, near the, the image and it exploded, but the image remained miraculously. So the image is completely miraculous. But why some people still don't believe, I don't understand. Yeah. At, at Fatima on October 13th, 1917, there, were, there was a prediction that there would be a miracle. There was terrible rain coming down. And then everything dried up and people could see what looked like the, the sun spinning around and around. And then it was hurling towards earth and they thought they were all going to die. And then it ended but there were people who were atheists and skeptics there 70,000 and some even who weren't even there, right. At, uh, at, at Fatima, they saw it from miles around. Um, and some of them became believers. Uh, so, and it was reported in, in, uh, in the local newspaper, um, about, about this event. And, uh, in 1917, October 13th. So sometimes signs are given, but uh, they the, the, those who have eyes to see see, those who have ears to hear hear. So I, I think that these are empirical uh, proofs. You don't have seventy thousand people lying at once, yeah. or there was a the idea of a mass hallucination is in, is beyond uh, credibility so this was recorded so these events happen but you know you record these and and some people still remain skeptical i i you might understand the reasons why better than i but i all i could say is i'm glad that i have the gift of faith i think it is a gift um like i believe in the holy eucharist mm-hmm. now there, you know there are eucharistic miracles and michael o'neill has investigated these but um I just believe because I believe it's what Christ himself said. This is my body. This is my blood. He didn't say this stands for my body. This stands for my blood. This is a symbol of my body. This is a symbol of my blood. And he said, my flesh is true food and my blood real drink in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. So I take Jesus at his word. And I believe. And, And then Holy Mother Church has affirmed these teachings down through the centuries up till today. So... Uh, I I just, we just have to say what we believe. We could only be witnesses and try to live the, the, the Christian life. It's not easy in this day and age, but with God's grace, we could do it. And the Blessed Mother helps us. Um, she's our mother and she cares for us and she loves us. And her whole being is oriented towards her divine son. And yet he himself wanted her to be associated with him in the work of redemption and the mediation of grace. That's what the great mystics and popes have said, including uh, the great St. John Paul II.
0: I think that is a a perfect place to conclude. Uh, Would you say a, a prayer and a blessing for our listeners and our families? And today is the 23rd of February, 2022, so maybe we can pray for the Ukraine, which is on the the brink of war. Yes, let us uh, bow our heads
1: in prayer, and we ask our Lord to intercede intercede for peace in Ukraine, that these people who are Christian uh, primarily will understand that our Lord does not want war, but wants peace and that the ukrainians and russians are brothers and sisters in christ and they should see this as the stronger bond than any form of nationalism and so we pray that the holy theotokos the holy mother of god will intercede for peace in ukraine and touch the heart of vladimir putin that he, as a, as a baptized Orthodox Christian, will realize that the Holy Mother of God does not want war, but peace. And so we say, O oh, Holy Theotokos, save us from war. Maria, Mater Misericordiae, uh, Regina Pacis, the, Re- the Queen of Peace, pray for us and pray for the people of Ukraine and, and uh, Russia And we pray for all world leaders, and we pray for an end of violence and war and hatred. And we trust in the power of love that in the end, your heart, your immaculate heart, will triumph in communion with the sacred heart of your divine Son. Amen. 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 Thank you, Robert Fastigi. Oh, no, you're welcome. Thank you very much. And God bless you and your family. And uh we pray for your wife. We pray for all people. Uh we're all <laughs> we're all beggars, really. Yeah. We didn't have to be created, but God gave us the gift of life, and now we give thanks to him. Yeah. So God bless you, uh
0: Chris. Thank you. God bless you.
1: Nails, spiritual piercing.
0: Chris Sodinitz and Robert Pastigi recorded this conversation on Wednesday, February 23rd, 2022. Twelve hours after the recording, and after our prayer, Putin's Russian soldiers invaded. So we will continue to pray for this troubled land. And Pope Francis has called next Wednesday, which is Ash Wednesday, a day of fasting and prayer for Ukraine. The music for the podcast comes from Josh and Margot from the Great Space Coaster Band, www.gscoasterband.com. And the image of the dog, our logo, is taken from the website of the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales, www.english.op.org. Please email me at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you soon.
1: This This is Christ the
0: King, whom shepherds, God, and angels sing.